0: Well, I'd like to begin today's talk. Uh, we, we were, con- we're continuing in this series called Picture This, and each week we use a central graphic to explain what we think God's Word is teaching us, and I'd like to begin by talking about cities. I love cities. I studied cities, even in my doctoral work. Uh, believe it or not, I'm a doctor, <laughs> Dr. Meekins. Which really is, which my daughter thinks, so she goes, oh, daddy's a doctor, but he's not a doctor who actually helps people. (laughs) So so there's that. Uh, And so even, you know, so somehow they allowed me to be a doctor, a doctor of uh, ministry, which doesn't really speak to the fact that I'm smart. It just speaks to the fact that the system's broken, folks. (laughs) Anyone can get any one of these degrees. It's a glorified master's. So uh, I, you know, I went in, I got a master of divinity, which makes me a master of the divine. And then I went on to become a doctor, have a doctor of ministry, which, uh, which is sh- for short is called a demon, demon. So basically, demon, yeah, church jokes, I'm about done with them. Anyway, I, so when I, in my final thesis, I wrote on something called... I wrote on something called The Vineyard and Cities, A Thoughtful Engagement. And I studied vineyard churches, and I studied cities, and I looked at different aspects of the built environment, how we understand cities, And uh, we studied people, everyone from Tim Keller to Ed Glazer, an an economist at Harvard. And we tried to understand the city through the lens of an actual city dweller. And one of the people I got to study uh, is someone who's very important in urban planning, and her name is Jane Jacobs. Is anyone familiar with the name Jane Jacobs? Yes. Yeah, two people. The the two people that helped me start the church are familiar because they've... (laughs) They've heard me tell this story. So Jane Jacobs was a young woman, New York resident, living in Manhattan, just living her life. And she became a part of a protest to protest somebody named Robert Moses. And Robert Moses was in charge of rebuilding a lot of New York. He was putting up highways everywhere. And the thing that was going to happen in her neighborhood, which was Greenwich Village is that they were going to tear down Greenwich Village and they were going to put a highway through it because at the time they believed that these types of roads and highways were good that would be helpful for people because cars are a lot of fun and these neighborhoods with their mixed use buildings these are disorganized they're disorderly they actually cause crime and corruption So her and her friends staged a protest so big and so strong that they were actually able to prevent Robert Moses and the city planners from turning Greenwich Village into a highway. Later on, she went on to write a book, a very important book, a person who had no training in city planning whatsoever, urban design whatsoever. She went on to write a book so important that if you decide to become an urban planner, it's often one of the... Core curriculum you have to study. Here, a completely uneducated in this particular field person teaching us about urban planning and how city life actually works on the street. And so, in this book, it's called The Death and Life of Great American Cities. You can look it up, very important book. Uh, She tells the story of a group of housing projects in East Harlem, and the residents there, when they were interviewed about where they lived in the projects, the people in the projects didn't like where they lived. They didn't care about where they lived. The buildings had, become in, had fallen into disrepair. Uh, their crime was rampant. And the tenants basically just had no interest living in the housing projects. And why was that? Why did they not care about the housing project? Well, the tenants complained that the urban planners and the technical designers didn't consider how the community actually functioned. When the designers came in, they proscribed what they thought to be best for everybody. They didn't consider the functionality of the community. And essentially what they did is they said, we know what's best for you and we're going to do it for you. And here it is. Here's a nice tall project. And what you have are these tall buildings. There's green grass around them. It looks good on paper, but these are the kinds of environments that were actually creating more chaos in the community. So Jane Jacobs writes about this, and she has this interesting quote, uh, and you can follow it along on the screen here. It says, there is a quality even meaner than outright ugliness or disorder. And this meaner quality is the dishonest mask of pretend order achieved by ignoring or suppressing the real order that is struggling to exist and to be served. Smart person. So let me interpret. I always hate when you have to interpret the quotes, but, you know, it's a good quote. Uh, Jacob's understood. Here's what Jacob's understood. Jacob's understood that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Our ideas that we might intend to be good for people might actually end up being bad for people. And in this case, the intentions of the designers to give people who are poor a good place to live ended up causing more chaos than they wanted to. Let me give you another illustration about how intentions can be bad. This morning, we found out that our AV projection person wasn't going to make it. And Philip, right up here up front, so gladly decided to step in. Thank you, Philip. I'm going to clap for Philip. And Philip got here. And let, this is not about intentions of Philip going to hell. This is about Chris Meekins' his intentions here. So Philip gets here, I'm like, oh, you know, Philip stepped in. I'm going to help him. And so uh, I start setting things up. And uh, I plug in a bunch of things that aren't supposed to be plugged in and we burn out like half the system, (laughs) (laughs) which is why we only have one screen. Sorry. And so I'm like, oh man, well, at least it was the boss that did it. And I walked off like Charlie Brown um, after we finally got it up and running. But like sometimes our intentions, the things that we think are doing that are going to help people actually hurt people. And just because we believe something is good for somebody, we need to ask the question, is it actually good for somebody? Just because we want to be in a community or be nice to our neighbors is what we're planning on doing actually good for them. And what I've learned is that true love, true love in your neighborhood and true love in your city, it actually starts with a virtue. And this is a virtue which one of my favorite New York Times writers, his name is David Brooks, uh, what he calls epistemological modesty. Epistemological, how do we know what we know? How do we have the ability to humbly remain open to input and feedback that ensures the best possible solution for the people we're trying to serve? So what does Jesus say about serving people? How do we serve our neighbors? How do we serve our community in a way that's meaningful, that actually has an impact? What would Jesus say to us today as we live in, some of us in Santa Monica, West Los Angeles, and and greater Los Angeles area? What is the obligation that we have to the people that we live around? Well, I plan to answer this question and more in today's talk, which I've called, Who is My Neighbor? So I'm going to pray and invite God's presence. And will you join me uh, in welcoming him? He's already here, but I believe that he wants to do more in us today. He definitely wants to do more in me. So let's pray. God, we invite you uh, to be with us today. Come Holy Spirit. We want to know what you're saying and doing, God. We want to join you in your work, God. And, and uh, God, we want to understand what it really means to love the people in the city and to love the people in our neighborhood. So I ask God that you would be with us in this time together. Help me to speak as I should. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. There's a story about Jesus and he's getting really popular and people are starting to ask him questions. Now, if you go into any area of the world and you perform a lot of miracles and you heal a whole town, people are going to start asking you where the power is coming from and by what authority do you have to do those things. And that's essentially what we see with Jesus. He's walking into neighborhoods He's demonstrating the real power of God through his life. And the result of that is that people start asking questions. So we pick up in verse 25, it reads like this. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Okay, pause here. There's more to the story. But the teacher of the law, this expert of the law, he could have stepped in and asked this question for any number of reasons. He would, maybe he wanted to ask Jesus, Jesus, how smart are you? Maybe he wanted to know his standing with God. God, you know, how do I know that I'm doing a good job with God? Uh, or perhaps most important, what are, what are, what's most important in life or what are my priorities? And so in the story, the law expert answers Jesus. Which I think is funny. He asks Jesus a question. Jesus goes, well, what do you think? And the law law guy comes back and says, uh, love God and love people. And Jesus says, good job. That's really good. You got the answer? Go ahead. Good job. And then uh, you kind of imagine Jesus is turning to leave. And then that's when it happens. The law expert presses him one more time. He doesn't stop there. He asks another question. And look at verse 29. It says this. It says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Yeah, Jesus, come on. I get it. Love your neighbor. But really, like, do I really need to love all the people who live around me? Do I need to really love everybody that I come into contact with? Do I need to uh, uh, annoy, uh, love some of those annoying parents that I see at Marin's school? Do I need to Love the people with the shopping carts in the part of the neighborhood that has no grocery store? Do I need to actually love my ex-husband or my ex-wife? Do I need to love that woke person? And I know the election is coming and they are just, you know what they're like. Do I, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Really, can you at least help us out? Cut me a break here. There's got to be limits on who we actually have to love. Jesus, be reasonable here. Reason with me. And Jesus replies. We read this in uh, verse 30. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite... Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus takes the whole system and he just blows it up. Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies, Everybody. Everybody's my neighbor. Like, everybody, everybody? Like, for real? Like, for real, real? Is everybody my neighbor? No, like, like everybody. Like, everybody's my neighbor. Like, even Karen with the K plus 8 haircut who is trying to get the manager's attention at the local Starbucks. Yes, even Karen with the K plus 8 haircut at the local Starbucks. Can I please see your manager, Karen? Yes. Even Karen. You see, the story was troubling for Jesus's listeners, because in the story, we see that the people who everybody would normally expect to take care of a hurt person on the road, don't do it. And the people that we would normally expect in this scenario, the priest and the Levite, these were known religious quantities who would often step in and help people in need. They would not have expected a Samaritan to stop because Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. In fact, they hated each other. They despised each other. They did not get along with each other. There was ethnic issues. There was religious issues. There was racial issues and Jews and Samaritans were like oil and water. They just didn't mix. And the only thing that kept them from fighting and destroying each other was that they were being occupied by a Roman government. So the Romans were keeping them separated, but these people despised each other. So Jesus is actually quite clever by using a Samaritan in this story because he's using a person that would never think to stop and Jews would never stop to help a Samaritan. So it wasn't the Samaritan that was hurt and the Jewish man stopped to help him. It was the Jewish person who was in need and the Samaritan stopped to help him. It was the Samaritan who shows us what it means to be a good neighbor. Well, how does he do that? How, what do we see here? Well, the Samaritan allowed himself to have compassion. It says in the verses he, he took pity on him. This is in a, a different way of saying that he had compassion for those, uh, for this person that was there. Uh, we see that the Samaritan took his personal time to address the immediate medical needs of a person that was beaten up on the side of the road and left for dead. So he, it says he bandaged his wounds, he took care of him. We see that the, the Samaritan used his own personal resources. Apparently Samaritans ride around on donkeys. And so he's got this donkey that he was riding along. And so he decides to put this guy who's hurt on the donkey and he walks alongside of his donkey. And then we also see that he uses his own money. The Samaritan busts out two denarii, uh, you know, whatever that's worth. Uh, But that's enough to like take care of him. Hey, here's my money. Use it to help get this guy back on his feet. And I'm going to circle back and make sure that he's okay. And if it costs any more money, just let me know what you paid out of pocket and I'll reimburse you for it. For Jesus, loving the neighbor means that we get radical about everything we do that will help and benefit others. It means that we do these types of things even with people who may not help us back. We serve people even if it doesn't benefit us. But how could Jesus tell people to do this? How could this actually be a real thing? I mean, come on. I mean, how can we actually treat people this way? Why are we invited to love our neighbors and treat them better or like as we would treat ourselves. Well, uh, in his book, The Art of Neighboring, there's a guy by the name of Jay Pathak. He co-wrote the book with another guy named Dave Runyon. Maybe some of you have met Jay before. And there's this interesting quote from Jay in his book. And it kind of explains what's going on with, uh, with what's going on here. And it says, we don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we've been converted. And what Jesus is getting at in this story is something that he would get at over and over again and what we see from the gospel story in general. We don't have to love our neighbors so that God loves us back. We don't have to love our neighbors to try to get them to form a belief system. The reason we love our neighbors is because we have already experienced the love and the power of God. And that power and love of God was most clearly demonstrated through the cross of Jesus Christ. And anyone who desires to draw close to Jesus when they turn to the cross, something supernatural happens. There's a supernatural transaction that happens in your heart and my heart, which changes us from the inside out. And all of a sudden we feel a sense of power and connection and love to the living God that we never felt before. And that becomes the proper motivation for loving others. We can actually take care of our neighbors because there's a neighbor in heaven who's taking care of us. And we allow ourselves to experience that love and that love shapes how we love others. And we allow the power of God's insight into our lives to shape our insight and how we think about others. And we experience this power over and over again, and it spills out over into our world and it affects the people in our neighborhoods. Friend, have you experienced the power of God? Have you experienced the love of God? I'm about to talk about who is our neighbor in detail, but I'm telling you, unless you get this part right, unless you allow yourself to experience God for who he is through the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no way you'll have what it takes to really do what Jesus is saying here. So start there. So what does this mean for you and for me? Well, What does it mean for our church? What does it mean for our neighbors? I think if we're going to answer those questions, it brings up two other questions. What is love? And who is my neighbor? Let me start with what is love? What is love? Love is, and we see this in these verses, love is doing what's obvious. This Samaritan is riding around on his donkey. I like the way I said donkey there. Can I say that again? He's riding around on his donkey and he's going to go to wherever Samaritans go with donkeys. And all of a sudden, he sees a half dead, beaten up guy on the side of the road. He didn't have to sit there and pontificate what he should do. It was obvious. We got to help this guy, we got to take care of this guy. Like sometimes, the things that God calls us to do to take care of our neighbors just means doing what's obvious, doing what's right in front of us. There's this one time. Um, I dude I don't even know how what came over me. So I'm I went to Starbucks and I like walk I'm walking out of Starbucks. I'm like, "Yay, got my Starbucks." And um, across the street uh, they are here screaming and this big burly dude is chasing down what I think is his girlfriend. I think he's going to destroy her. And so something uh, comes over me like I'm not that big. I'm only like 6'5, 250. And so I put down my, <laughs> there was a chuckle in the back that was way too loud. So I... <laughs> so I put down my coffee. I run across the street. And by the time I get there, there was these other two women shielding this woman from this guy. And by the time I got there, I'm like, hey, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, <laughs> like, hey, man, don't do it. Like, you know, we're all watching, like whatever is done can be de-escalated. De- and the other woman who is there blocking him, she's like, please, sir, it's not worth it. Don't do it. Um, and like, we saved the day. Uh, they were like 90%. I was like extra hands. <laughs> and I walked back across the street. I'm like, la-di-da-di-da. And like, I pick up my coffee and like, uh, there's these two moms <clears throat> just a couple years older than me just sitting there having coffee. And they're like, what did you do? Did you break up that fight? I was like, yeah, I helped, but there's some other people there. And she goes, the, one of them goes, that was so brave of you. I go, oh, thank you. But, uh, you know, there's, you know, but I did take it all. So it took all the credit. So. Uh, so, like, you know, I tell this story. It's like you don't need – maybe you shouldn't, you know, break up fights all the time. But, I mean, some of the time, like we do, what's obvious, we step in uh, and we break things up. I, I, remember, uh, I remember just a few days ago, we're driving to uh, Trader Joe, and there's, like a, like, a slight hill towards Trader Joe. Uh, my friends and I, we had to pick some things up, on it was Super Bowl Sunday. And this woman is getting out of her car, and she has a box of LaCroix. And the whole box opens up, and all the LaCroix go all down the street, and they're rolling. And we're like, and we just look at each other. Corey and I, we just look at each other. We're like, let's do this, this is gonna be fun. So we run out in the street, we pick up all the LaCroix, we hand them back to her. And so, like, being a good neighbor in that situation was just like picking up LaCroix. And then she tried to offer us one, and I'm like, sorry, I only drink Topo Chico. And then we <laughs> sent her on <out> her way. <laughs> you know, um, sometimes being a good neighbor is just happening to be outside of your apartment. I watched Nicole do this once. Uh, Our neighbor was having a medical emergency, and he was so distraught over what was immediately happening that he couldn't actually call. the. He didn't need 911. He needed, like, the on-call doctor. And so Nicole sat with him and made the call to the on-call doctor. Other times, sometimes being a good neighbor is walking around and picking up the apartment trash in your complex. Everyone just, you know, maybe this is just our complex, but, like, everyone just kind of leaves the trash, and somehow it mysteriously gets picked up. Yeah, it's usually the Meekins in Unit D picking up the trash. Sometimes we just pick up and do what's obvious. We do what's necessary. We also see that love is listening. Love is listening. Uh, Just like I talked earlier, those uh, urban designers, urban planners, they thought they were doing a good thing. Actually, the community thought it was a bad thing. And as we know, housing projects in general have turned out to not be a very good project for America. But, like, you know, sometimes we listen and we try to understand what others need. There's a great book out there for married couples. It's called The Five Love Languages. And it's for people to figure out how to communicate love to your spouse. So like, and have different things. There's five of them and I won't list all of them because I don't think I can remember of them. But like some of them, like, you know, someone will say mine are acts of service. You show me you love me by serving me. Uh, others will be acts of giving. Like I love gifts. I love gifts. I love quality time is another one. I love words of words of affirmation. And then there's another one. I forget what it is. Uh, physical touch. Oh, yeah, baby. Physical touch. You got physical touch. And, and so, like, I could be like, Nicole, do you want, what's up, girl? Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> like, I, I, I just want to tell you how much I love you, and I'm going to buy you all the jewelry you would ever want. Uh, and I'm going to take you to a fancy dinner. Or I could clean the bathtub. What do you think she's going <laughs> to And just show you that I want to clean the house. I'll clean the bathtub. She's going to pick the bathtub, and she's going to be like, that's true love right there. Because she likes acts of service, but she'll take the jewelry too. She actually wants, she's both, both hand girl, so she'll take the jewelry. She's like, she's like, okay, thank you for the jewelry. Go clean that tub, like you said. So we've, we've got the five love languages. That works for marriages and dating couples. But what I've found is like not exactly the same thing, but there's love languages in society, There's ways of understanding what people need and kind of empathizing with them and having compassion on them and thinking through what they actually need uh, after we do what? After we listen to them, after we try to understand uh, where they're coming from. And uh, that's really important. So what is love? Love is love is doing what's obvious. And love is also like taking time to understand what a person actually needs. That's important if we're going to love people. So how do we listen and interpret places like Santa Monica or West Los Angeles or Los Angeles in general? How do we think about our city? Have we taken time to understand our city? Jane Jacobs would say that it's important for people just to walk the neighborhood and become experts in your neighborhood As a pastor, how much do I spend time walking through the neighborhood trying to understand it? As Jesus followers, people who are tuned in to what God's doing in the world, trying to pay attention to join him in his work, but also your real people who are all positioned in some neighborhood, what do we do to understand the city that we live in? And as I think about it, and as we perceive, and as some of our team have perceived that Santa Monica is... um, Santa Monica is a very interesting city. You have extreme wealth combined with poverty. You have people that have all the best things and you have all the people with nothing. Our homeless per capita in the city is pretty high. We have everything. We have addictions of all kinds. We have, uh, we have addictions that come from the up and outers and we have addictions for the down and outers too. We have both. We have some of the most educated, smart people working on some of the most intelligent problems or difficult problems and trying to find solutions to them. And then we're surrounded by people just trying to navigate traffic and figure out life. And as a church, we want to be a both-and church. We want to care for people who are up and out. We want to provide something for them that grabs their attention and says, hey, there's more to life than this really nice car. And there's more to life than just being content with your possessions. There's a spiritual power in this world that invites you into more. But we also want to be there for the down and outers, the people that don't have it together, the people that might be on the streets or in, uh, down on their luck, that haven't experienced a set of circumstances that have resulted in better education, uh, people that have experienced the hardships of life. We want to be there for them. And so we, um, at Pack City Impact, Uh, Pax City Impact is one of our ministries here at the church. And Pax City Impact is designed to have impact on the community. And we do a number of things. We serve the homeless. We serve people who are in transitional housing. We offer socks and book bags and Bibles. And we help certain families during the holidays. Uh, And our belief has been and always will be that it's not just enough to Uh, just to love the up and outer, but it's also important for us to love the down and outer. And we're called to love our neighbors, the people who are around us. And it's not enough also just to be woke about the poor. It's not enough just to be aware that the poor exist in our, our community. We're called to take action. We're called to participate in being God's hands and feet to care for the people in our community that don't have what they need. And so PAX City Impact, I'm going to tell you a story. So earlier in January, um, Kevin Glover, where is Kevin? Is he here? Is he in the back? Hey, Kevin. Can you wave to us? Hi. Hi. Love you. Kevin comes to me and he's like, we have these new opportunities and initiatives to do some really interesting things in the city to care for our neighbors through PAX City Impact. And I go, okay, let's sit down and talk. We start talking about it. And, uh, you know, He's like, we could go here. We could serve these people. We could have community groups jump in and work with OPCC, also known as the People Concern. And uh, we can do all these things that can really benefit. And I start looking at the list of things, and I'm like, like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to pay for all this? This is like triple what we pay or what the church is offering and paying now, uh, what we're doing to invest. And so I was like, oh, man, this is so hard. Uh, We're going to have to get creative. But, yes, let's commit to it. So let's bring this idea to the rest of the PAC city impact team. And let's figure out how we can make a deeper and wider impact to serve the poor in our community. And we're like, okay, we're going to take, it's going to be a step of faith. So we kind of made this step of faith and we kind of made this commitment in uh, early January to kind of do more, expand our reach to help more people in need. And here's what happened. Uh, No joke. Like a week later, Like I get an email and it's from something called the manna grant. A manna is an old Testament word for, uh, kind of like bread that used to come down from heaven. It's not important for right now. Uh, the manna grant. And I go, okay, manna grant, we want to give you money. I'm like, that's fake delete. And, uh, no one, there's no such thing as an inbound grant. Like you have to go chase money. If in nonprofit world, if anyone's ever raised money for nonprofit, like usually have to go find the money. The money just doesn't come to your doorstep. Um, or in this case, your email doorstep. And so uh, we, I delete the first round of email. Then I get a phone call. I'm like, wait a second, what is this? They left a voicemail. I don't answer calls from unknown numbers because that <laughs> sounds so important. So we, um, So And then I get a second follow-up email. Hey, did you get our first email about the man? I'm like, okay, I'll look into it. And I look into it, and it's a real grant. And they're like, we'll give you some money, and all you have to do is Uh, you have to just use that money within your church to care for uh, the poor. And it has to be around justice and mercy issues. So why don't you fill out this application and get back to us and let us know some of your initiatives. So I'm like, oh, this is still probably fake. uh, So I'll fill it out. So I fill it out, (laughs) filling it out. This is me on a computer, (laughs) drinking coffee, listening to only Christian worship music. And I'm doing it, and I fill it out, and uh, we turn it in, and then, um, you know, for some strange reason, they like get back to us. And uh, the Mana Grant is run by this church called Southlands. It's in Brea. And they're like, hey, we really liked your grant application. Do you want to come in for an interview? And I'm like, oh, this is getting real. So, like, we go, uh, so I go, Kevin, will you come with me? So we drive out to Brea. We have a wonderful time together. It's wonderful. We had, had Chick fil A on the way home. Uh, and, uh, cause the only chicken I eat is Christian chicken. <laughs> so that's not true. I don't even know what a Christian chicken is. Uh, so anyway, so we're, we drive there and we're like, what's the percentage that we're going to get mugged and murdered? And we're like pretty high, but we get there and it's like a real church with like a, with like a real area we can wait in. And then we go in, we do the interview process and we're like, is this real? Are you, is this, f-? And they're we're like, they're like, we get this all the time. And it turns out they're the only outbound, like, they, you know, here's the qualifications. You have to have justice and mercy ministry. Uh, you have to be a young church plant, like, under a couple of years old, which we qualify. We're very new. We're very young. And we, we, um, and so we interview. Uh, I brought Kevin there. He was magnificent. He was just so good with the people. He explained all the details. I'm like, we got big vision, big vision. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, here's actually how we're going to do it. And, like, <laughs> that's that's how when i start to partner with some of you on projects i'm going to come in and be like yeah 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 and then here's our expert and we're going to do it we're going to do it we're going to do a lot of cool things together you and i and so but kevin and i did that He he killed it we crushed it we walked out with like two things uh if they don't we did everything we could to get that grant and we didn't die so this is great so we leave and then we get a call back and they're like congratulations we're going to give you the grant We're going to give you the grant to care about your neighbors. And so I'm pleased to announce today that um, we've been given a $10,000 grant by the Manor Grant in the Southlands. Yeah. 10,000 smackaroos. Yeah, it's so exciting because for a few reasons, like one, like uh, who gives away money like that? I mean, I hope one day I get to give away money. And, uh, you know, I hope some of you give away money like that, too, to people. Not to this church. I mean, obviously give it to this church. But, like, like, give it for something that's earmarked or designated for those who don't have as much. And also what I love about this story is, like, we weren't really, like, we were totally full of fear. Like, how are we going to pay for this new initiative that we're starting to build? And as soon as the PAX City Impact Team gives it some approval, we can do it. But this is a lot of stuff. This is really bold. And what i found is when we step out in faith, God provides. And not only when we step out in faith, God provides for our immediate issues. Hey, like we're struggling to make ends meet. We don't like the way things are going with our spouse. We don't All that, all that stuff. But in spe- specifically, when we step out with our neighbors... And when we step out and be outward focused in our city and in our community, God provides. God provides. We have no business getting this grant, but God decided through his strength that he was going to provide it for us. And so this is now a very good time for you to engage with our neighbors. Uh, And so if that's something you'd like to do, if you would like to be a part of some of our initiatives, which includes the people concerned, uh, we're going to be working with Imagine LA this year, we're going to be working with Upward Bound, all these folks. Uh, are looking all these organizations are looking for people to serve alongside the money we now have, and so it's money and people. And so, if you'd like to get involved, Kevin will be in the courtyard, and he would love to jot down your name, and we can get you signed up. But we're really going to make this a priority and care for our community this year. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah. So that's that's one thing. Um, the second thing um, I want to talk to you about is, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. But second thing is, uh, I have this little picture. Uh, You should have received this on the way in. This is a hashtag. This is a hashtag. Um, What's it look like to think and care about our neighbors? Well, if you've got the hashtag, here's what I want you to do. How do we love our neighbors? Well, a good question to ask, and this is asked in the Art of Neighboring book. One of the things we should consider is, how, how do we actually know our real neighbors, our actual physical neighbors that actually live around us? Do we know those people and how do we love them and care for them so we would love ourselves? So if you have this, what I'd love for you to do right now with us is in the center box, write your name, write your name, whatever your name is, whether your name is Barack or Donald or Bill or Ronald or Jimmy or Lyndon or John, or Dwight. How much further back can we go? That's about, what? Abraham, whatever. Uh, So, or Benny. (laughs) Or Benny or Helen or whatever. Uh, Write your name in the mail. Now, what I would love for you to do, start, think about your immediate neighbors, whether you're in a building or an apartment, start writing your neighbor's names right in those circles. And after you're done writing your neighbor's names, why don't you write what they do for a living? And why don't you write the the their significant other's name in there? And why don't you go ahead and write like some of their passions in there? So what I'd like to show you is uh, how many. Uh, are, I know I didn't give you enough time to fill it out. How many of you were able to completely fill that out? Just were able to crush that. Yes, Jill, we got one. So um, part of by the way, Jay Pathick, the guy that does this, often calls this the diagram of shame. So I'm sorry that I had to do that <laughs> to you. But here's the point. Since we're all in a very like, low position of shame right now, don't feel the shame. Here's what I want you to feel. Part of loving our community and loving our physical neighbors starts by getting to know them, starts by getting to know their names and what they do and how they exist in this community. Loving your neighbor, the practical application for loving your neighbors yourself, not only includes us as a church working together to help the down-and-outers, it starts by actually knowing your neighbors and loving and care for them. Now, some of you may protest and say, that doesn't work in L.A. People are cold, people are stubborn, and I'm here to tell you, yeah, that's true, but it's not totally true. So when... Nikki and I moved here in 2015. We knew, like, hardly anyone. We knew Patrick. We had met him a couple times. And there was a person on 19th Street named Amanda, Mandy, uh, who was our friend and helped us, like, locate the apartment that we're in. But we knew nobody besides that. And so we were like, well, let's just give this neighboring thing a try. We're in this new neighborhood, in this new building. Let's see what happens. And so we did. So we set up shop. We bought a couch. uh, We bought, um, you know, our furniture and got set up. And shortly after that, what we would do is we would open our door And we would just kind of hang out in our little courtyard area because it's like a building that has like a center area that's closed out from the outside world. There's like a pool in the middle. So we had like a courtyard and we could sit right out in front of our apartment and we'd just hang out there. And uh, oftentimes we would make pictures of margaritas. And we would hope that people would come by because that many pictures of margaritas was just too many for a young boy like myself. And so... (laughs) We'd have margaritas or we'd have like, you know, food or drinks and we'd just hang out there and people would walk by and some people would stop by. They'd have a little drink with us and hang out with us. And then we like very in a normal way, we got to know our neighbor's names. Uh, And then we got to kind of like hang out with them at the pool when it got warm. And then like we do fun pool games with them. And then after that, sometimes we get invited over to the after party in somebody's apartment. And then we started hanging out with them even more. And over time, what happens is when we prioritize getting to know them and just loving them, just being a good neighbor. And again, there was no intention behind it. We were just trying to be a good neighbor because that's what we believe is important. What we found is we got to know all of our neighbors by name. We got to know all about their lives. We got to be involved in their lives on so many levels. There was one neighbor that I ended up lifting weights with every day for first year and a half that we lived there. That was awesome. And then we finally kind of broke up. We were like, this is too much. Like we needed some space. We needed some space, but we did it for a year and a half. One of our neighbors gave their lives to Jesus as a result of relationship with them. Uh, another, another neighbor, we went through a crisis. We were able to be there for them. And we were walking through life with them. And it wasn't just us pouring out. They were pouring into us. There was a reciprocal relationship where we actually got to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so like, we got to do it. And, I, and then it started to extend into other buildings. And so when we look at where we are, we map that out, and then we map out what's happening at Marin School, what's happening in this area where we live. We definitely feel like it's possible to get to know your neighbors, to love your neighbors, and take care of your neighbors. And your neighborhood may be very different, but maybe it's not. Maybe it just starts by saying hello and saying, remind me of your name again. I'm so sorry. I'm Chris. you know, Or whatever it is you have to do. But start that. Start the idea of who is my neighbor? Well, Let's start by getting to know their name. Does that make sense? Let's start by investing in them and see what happens. And uh, like I said before, people said it couldn't be done. And I'm here to tell you today that it can be. That you can love your neighbors as you love yourself by simply opening your life up and praying. And so I'd encourage you, uh, in the most normal way, hang on to this hashtag and start to fill it in as you get to know people. Don't, like, hang it on your fridge. And, like, don't stalk people. Uh, and then maybe over time, start to pray for these people. Pray that God would do something in their lives. And I have found over and over again, when we make time for this, God does something amazing. I would also like to add that today, or I, or no, actually, two days ago, uh, I got a call from an old neighbor who used to live above us. And this old neighbor uh, moved with his girlfriend. They used to live there, live above us. You know, they didn't... Um, you know, they weren't, like, here at the church or anything. They were just kind of people that lived there, and they had their lifestyle, and, and we had ours. And, but we became friends with them. We invested in them. Um, we just found out, well, they, they moved to San Francisco, and then he reached out to me last week. He's like, hey, I want to talk to you. He's like, my girlfriend and I are getting married, and we would love for you to do the ceremony at our wedding. And to go from, like, we know nobody in the city— To being invited to perform someone's wedding ceremony, that's the Lord. That's the Lord doing a work in our community and in people. And I would hope that for you. I would hope that, like, as you open your heart to what God may want to do, you, too, will get to participate in people in ways you never expected. Also, I come to find out that the wedding is in Maui, and they're paying all our expenses. Why don't we all stand?